We're going to talk a little bit about the church in a moment. You know, churches are funny places, and a lot of goofy things happen at churches. I, I want to share with you, these are true things that were either in a church uh, sign or were in church bulletins. One of them, it said, uh, Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be sharing tonight uh, at our 6 o'clock service. Please come and hear Bertha Belch from Africa tonight. That's funny. I mean, really, he is. She had a lot of built-up indigestion, I I don't know. I, I like this one, and this, this one got somebody in trouble, especially if it was a man. The Women's Weight Watchers group will meet tonight at 6 o'clock in the basement. Please enter through the big double-wide doors downstairs. <laughs> and this was on our church sign a few years ago. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. (laughs) We are in Joshua chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 20. And we started a series several weeks ago titled Finding Your Best Life. Now, we are absolutely still in that sermon series, but we're going to combine it. About 12 years ago, we began to do something, and the only year we haven't done it, last 12 years was last year, called Vision Day. We used to have a banquet at night, and we'd have a banquet after church on Sunday morning, and we're not doing that now. If you went to connection groups in the last hour, we, they shared some information with you about where the church has been in the last year or so, where we're going. Uh, if you didn't get one of these on the way out, this is kind of a report. We have a, a, a Vision 2020 we started in 2012, where we believe our church, we felt like God was leading us to be at the end of 2020, and you can get a copy of these and see how we're doing. It's pretty neat things. But this morning, as we look at your best life, we're going to tie that into the church. Folks, if you are going to find the life God wants you to have, and it truly is the best life, you've got to be tied in with God, and to be tied in with God, you must be tied into his church, and you must be tied into a good church. And so our premise this morning is, is what we see in Joshua chapter 20 is the kind of church that God wants us to be. And so, okay, you're here today and you're not a Christian. You go, oh, this doesn't interest me at all. It should because if, if, if a church is this kind of church, it will draw you in. It's doing the right things. If you're a Christian, maybe you're a member of a church in Florida or something, and you're visiting today. Well, this is apply to your church. If you're a member here, this is who God is calling us to be. And it's some really neat stuff and some really great stuff. So Genesis, uh, excuse me, Joshua 20. And let's begin with this. Here's the big thought. First Baptist must be a grace place. A grace place. Now, if you're taking notes, let me define two important terms for you biblically. Mercy, mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. And that, it doesn't mean it in a positive sense. It's mean, it means like you're supposed to go to jail and the judge doesn't give you the jail sentence or your parents are supposed to take your phone for a month and they take it for a week. That's mercy right there. Grace Grace goes a step beyond mercy. Grace is you get what you don't deserve in a positive sense. You didn't earn something, but someone gave you something out of their generosity, out of their heart. Grace defined biblically is God's favor towards you and me, his favor he gives us that we didn't earn or we didn't deserve, that he gave it to us. The place we're going to see today is a grace place. In verses 1 through 3 of Joshua 20, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Now tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I've instructed Moses. 
Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. Okay, there's, they've taken the, the promised land. Now, we're, we're still on just crossing over Jordan last week. So we'll, we'll get to this, more of this in a moment. But they're taking the land that God wanted them to. And so they're, they're trying to get, set up the, the places God wanted them to set it up. And they designated 48 cities as Levitical cities, priest cities. You might think of those as preacher cities. And they were supposed to be special places where God's ministers lived, their families lived. And they were special because they were special places of contact with the, the ministers for the people. And six of those cities are designated as cities of refuge. The word refuge there means someone taken in or someone seeking asylum. Now, you hear a lot about refugees today on the news, and, and certainly there's a biblical aspect to that, but this is totally different. This is a, a different type of refugee this morning than, than we might think of as someone from another country, uh, although it could be some from another country. This is a refugee who's made a big mistake. This is a person who's committed some big sins. This is a person who's messed up in society and messed up with God. And God designated these six cities as being cities of grace and refuge for people like that, people like you and me. And my premise this morning is the church ought to be a city of refuge. We ought to be a grace place. The Bible says the church is the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. And if you know anything at all about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was certainly a person and the Lord God of grace. So what does it look like when we say, okay, we're going to be a grace place? You're looking for a church today. Should I join First Baptist? We want to be a grace place. What does it look like? You're saying, what should our church be like if God's going to bless it and use it in the days ahead? What does our church need to be like if it's going to minister to your kids and your grandkids effectively in the days ahead? We're a grace place. Let me give you a couple of definitions of this. Number one, a grace place is a place of truth. A grace place is a, pray, a place of truth. It's not just a, an easy going, everything goes, get out of jail card free place. It's not a place that says, whatever you decide to do, that's okay. I'm okay, you're okay. It's not sin if you enjoy it or whatever. You hear a lot of that kind of stuff today. Look in verse 3. Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. Now, it says twice in there, someone who kills someone accidentally or incidentally versus a premeditated murder. Versus killing someone, we would say like a first degree murder with with hatred and malice of forethought. And big difference. In the Ten Commandments, when it says, thou shall not kill, that's not really the best understanding of that. It's really saying, thou shall not murder. You could kill someone accidentally. That's different than, than just willingly going to their house to murder them. You might have to kill someone in self-defense, God forbid, or in warfare. And that's different than a, uh, a, a homicidal, first-degree type murder. This is talking about when people do something that's really bad but they didn't intend to do it. 
Verse 4, it says, Upon reaching one of these cities, the one who caused the death will appear before the elders at the city gate. He will present his case, and they must allow him to enter the city and give him a place to stay where it's safe. Verse 5 and 6, If the relatives of the victim come to avenge the killing, the leader must not release the slayer to them, for he killed the person unintentionally. And without previous hostility. Okay, here's how things work this. It's a tribal society, tribal world. They didn't have police like we did or FBI or state police. So if someone killed someone in your family, whether you know it was accident or not, there was a, 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 probably a male, unless you had just a vicious uh, wife or something, uh, it, that was called the blood avenger. And the blood avenger is supposed to go and kill the person who killed your relative. You can see very easily how that would get out of hand, so God designated these cities of refuge where a person could come. And a person could say, hey, I didn't do this on purpose, and they, they took them in. Now, here's the, here's the deal. They took them in. They gave them safety. They protected them from the blood avenger. The blood avenger may have been right there in town too. But then they had a court case. They had a trial. If the person was found guilty of first-degree murder... Very important. They could repent. They could get right with God. They could apologize to the family they hurt. But they were to be executed. That was the civil law of the land of Israel at the time. If they were found guilty of second degree, we'd say second or third degree murder, accidental, unintentional, they were not to be killed. But there still was a punishment for, for they took a life. They had to stay within those city walls until the high priest died. What did that mean? The high priest that was the high priest when they went in the city walls. You better hope the high priest was really old when you went in the city walls or in bad health because you could be there too much. You could be there for 20 years. And these grace places were tremendous. And we're going to see more of the grace side of it and safety side of it and the second chance side of it in a moment. But there were rules in these places. The the grace place had walls. In fact, your only safety was inside of those walls. You got outside of those walls, you could die. Your only safety was staying inside those walls until the high priest passed away. It wasn't a do what you wanted to. You had to play within the rules. Now, folks, this is so important. Again, we're going to look at the sweet side of this in a moment. But God is the God of, of principles and boundaries. God is a God of tremendous grace, but God also has a, a script. We call it the Bible. God has boundaries. We call it the Bible that we must go by, that we must live by. Christians and churches tend to fall off the horse on one, or, one side of the horse or the other. Sometimes we're all truth. I mean, we're all truth. And man, if we see somebody doing something we think is wrong, we're going to knock their head off, of course, in the name of Jesus. We're going to get them, aren't we? And, and I, I kind of refer to those people, they're, they're like a dry river. I mean, there's no dirt, there's no mud in the river, there's just no water either. There's no life, there's no fish, there's nothing. Other people are all grace. Churches are all great. Nothing's wrong. Oh, if you want to do that, who am I to judge? Well, I don't want to judge you, but there is a right and a wrong. And, and, and people that are all grace with no truth are just like muddy water. That's like going to the Mississippi River and dishing up a cup and drinking it. Good grief. How many of you like chocolate milk? You're not a Christian if you don't. We can help you with that this morning. 
the way I like chocolate milk is I like do-it-yourself chocolate milk. Milk in, in Hershey's. You know what I'm talking about? Because you can control the output. And I'm an overdoer. And so I like, like my Kool-Aid of two weeks ago, I like my chocolate, chocolate. And man, I, I would really pour it in there and mix it up. But here's the truth. To me, milk is the law and chocolate syrup is grace. Would you agree with that? I mean, one's foundational, one is sugar on top. It's wonderful. But, but you know, if I had a full bottle, and you can, like, you can buy like these 200-ounce bottles of chocolate syrup, you see them, and they're really big now. Probably not that big, but they're really big. And if you got one of those and, and you had a, a cup of, of rotten milk, it does not matter if you pour that whole thing in there. That milk is still rotten, isn't it? It's still going to make you sick at your stomach. It's still gonna. It's it's never gonna come out right. And listen, as a church, as a grace place, as a city of refuge, we have standards. You know, if somebody came today and they want to, they want to join our church. Here's our here's our qualifications. We believe it's from the Bible. You you've got to repent and, and profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You got to say you're following Christ. You've got to be willing to be baptized if you've not been baptized. You're not going to be perfect, but you can't come down and say, you know what, I'm a scoundrel and I ain't changing and I want to join. We'll say, man, you can come every Sunday, but you've got to have some changes before you can be a part of the team. Now, the cool thing is you can come in every week the rest of your life and still be a scoundrel. Isn't that good? And a lot of us are saved scoundrels anyway, but you know where I'm, I'm getting at. Uh, Phil Robertson, and I don't think Phil was the first person who said this, but it's really good. He said, two lies are destroying our society today. And I think this is absolutely right. Phil said, one is if you, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, people say you must fear them or you must hate them. That's a lie. And the other one was, if, if you... If you can't love somebody if you don't agree with everything they do. If you tell someone, I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with your lifestyle, then you hate them, you fear them, or you don't love them. That's absolutely not true. Can I tell you something? God knows everything about you and me, and believe you me, start with me. He doesn't approve of everything, but he loves us anyway. And as a grace place, a grace place can't be a grace place if it doesn't have truth in there. Does that make sense? We're just a strip club. If, we, if we're all grace, right? You don't know what those are, but we'll talk about those more later. Those are not moral places for the most part. A grace place is a place of truth. Now, let's look at some of the sweet things in this, and there really is. A grace place is not only a place of truth. A grace place welcomes every kind of sinner. Hey, we got boundaries. We're, we have a rule book that we go by. But look in verse 3. Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for killing the person. Taking a life. I mean, I think you would agree. It's not maybe the greatest mistake. It would be right up there with it. But this was a place that was open to someone who'd done this. Look in verse 7 and 8. Interesting, may not seem it, but it is. The following cities were designated as cities of refuge. Kadesh of Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali. Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. Kerajabeth, Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan River across from Jericho, the following cities were designated. Bezer in the wilderness plain of the tribe of Reuben. 
Ramoth and Gilead in the territory of the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan in the land of tribe, the tribe of Manasseh. Let me show you something on a map. This is the promised land at this time. Some scholars say it was about the size of the state of Maryland, not real big. These are the, the six cities of refuge. Not, they're, they're, they're put in places designated that people from anywhere in the country can get to and get to quickly. Here's another very interesting thing. These roads to the cities of refuge were to be maintained annually. Every year, leaders were to go and look at the roads, look at the bridges, make sure they were good. The, the roads, the, the, the typical country road out here was 24 feet wide. The city of refuge, the road was to be 48 foot wide. It was twice as big to these cities. There were signs going into the city that said refuge, refuge, refuge. And there were supposed to be runners, people along the way stationed to point when they, I guess when they saw someone running for their life and someone chasing them with a spear saying, there's the city of refuge. In other words, these places opened their doors wide and said, look, here we are, come to us. Isn't that what a church should be? Well, we don't know if we want those kind of people in our church. Go to another church. We want them, don't we? I want them. Judd Wilhite's a pastor in Las Vegas. He tells a story of a guy named Cody. Cody was a professional bass fisherman. Every boy in Tennessee, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas is dream, right, Josh? Did real well until he started smoking crack. And over a course of a year or two, he smoked away $600,000 worth of his life savings. He smoked away his home, smoked away his wife and his kids, lost his family, became homeless. He was living on the streets in Las Vegas. Judge Church has a ministry of the homeless there. And some of his members got to know Cody. One day, Cody woke up on a Sunday morning, and he was smelling really bad. This is what he said. I stunk by homeless people's standards. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I imagine that was not good. He said he hadn't had a bath in about two months. He heard that this church in town, you could go to that church, go to the worship service, get a sandwich and take a shower. He goes, I'm going to go endure church, get a sandwich and take a shower. And he came walking in, one of the greeters, and by the way, greeters are such a huge part of a church. One of the greeters was a girl named Michelle, and she recognized him. Big church, recognize him. And she says, hey, Cody. And she waves, and this homeless guy's going, somebody knows my name. And he goes running up. She goes running up to him, and she says, give me a hug. She's, he said, you don't want to hug me, I stink. And she said, everybody deserves a hug, Cody. And she hugged him, and she looked at him, and she smiled, and she said, Cody, Jesus loves you. He said it changed his life. He got right with Jesus Christ. He got off crack. He got in church, he got married, he got a job. Now he works in the homeless ministry of that church. You know why? Because that church has standards, it has boundaries, but it says we want everybody to come. We're a place of grace. We're a place of truth with chocolate syrup poured all over us. And that's the kind of church that we have to be, a church that welcomes anybody and everybody. Here's the third thing. A grace place is a safe place. It's a safe place. Now, I'm not going to read these verses again uh, just, just for time's sake, but let me tell you kind of what happened. When the guy gets to the gate in verse 3, they don't know if he's innocent or guilty, but they're going to assume innocence. And they take him in. They protect him. 
They give him a place to live. They give him a place until the trial starts. In the cities of refuge, there are no weapons made or no weapons sold. You didn't want some blood avenger coming in there and buying a sword and running somebody through at the, at the local synagogue. They were safe and protected places. Now, folks, in a lot of ways, I want this church to be a safe place. Certainly, I want it to be physically. But let, let me give you two other ways I, I think a great church, a grace place, is a safe place. And this is a little bit off of the story. And we'll go right back to the story in a second. You know, a church, is, a church ought to be a place where you can come and it's your happy spot. Now, obviously, if we deal with tough stuff and we deal with hard truths, at times we're going to run into problems because sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. And they're going to fight it. I understand that. But you know, you, you know what's happened to so many people so many young people my age who aren't young anymore grew up in church and they watched their parents and they watched their grandparents fight and bicker and, and get mad about the lights or get mad about the carpet or want the money used this way or the money used that way and they run the preacher off or the preacher runs them off and then they turn 25 and their parents wonder why they don't want to go to church. Who wants to go to church when it's like that? My commitment to you is this is going to be a safe place. We are a unified place. We need to be that way. Mom and dad, if you care about your kids, that's important. But it's also got to be a safe place for people who are far from God, people who've made mistakes. A grace place welcomes everybody. And a grace place is a safe place. Here's another thing. It's a place of new beginnings. Absolutely, it's a place of new beginnings. Think about this. Here comes this person. They come into the city. They're taken in. They're found innocent. The city was required to find them a place to live. The city helped them find a job. Now, this is important. They were supposed to find a job. They were supposed to get active in the community. They were supposed to be a part of the city. But they got a brand new, fresh start. Folks, if God is about anything, God is about new starts, isn't he? 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone is in Christ, they're a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. Folks, we want to be a place that tells people, you get another shot. That's who I think we are and who we're going to be. I heard Frank Pollard, the pastor, he pastored First Baptist Jackson, Mississippi for many years. Frank Pollard said, God is not just the God of the second chance or the third chance. God's the God of the 15th chance and the 30th chance and the 50th chance. Aren't you glad he is? And folks, that's what I want us to be. I want us to be a place where people come and get a fresh start. And here's, here's something that kind of, I think, brings it all together. A grace place is a place people are drawn to. A lot of times people don't realize they need a church until tragedy strikes, until morally things come off the rail, and that's okay. I wish they'd realize it sooner, but we're going to be here when they do. Probably back in this day, they didn't realize they needed a city of refuge until they accidentally killed somebody and someone was trying to chop their head off. And they ran to the place. They were drawn to it. You know, Jesus said that Christians, and Christians would certainly go with the church here, are to be salt and light. We ought to draw people in. We ought to be attractive. We ought to be warm. In North Dallas, several years ago, listen to this. This is really sad. 
in North Dallas, which that's kind of, that's the more, the, the wealthy part of Dallas, but that's still a lot of religious people there. They ask people, when you hear the word Baptist, what do you think of? Here was three things they said. Narrow-minded, judgmental, and condemning. Doesn't that make you want to cry? Now, I don't mind being called narrow-minded. I mean, two plus two equals four, and Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Heaven's real and hell's hot, correct? That's probably narrow-minded. I can live with that. I don't want to be called judgmental and condemning. I read this week, 75% of Southern Baptist churches are either plateaued or they're dying. I think it's probably higher than that. And two Southern Baptist churches in America close their doors, done, every month. Part of it is some of them have lost the truth. They lost the truth, and you lose the truth, you lose the power of God. Some of them just aren't very gracious places. They're judgmental, and they're condemning, and they wonder why people don't want to go. Folks, we need to be the kind of place that people are drawn to. Teresa Fears lives in Longview, Texas. And in December of last year, she was baptized in Moberly Baptist Church there in Longview. She's, I guess, I don't know, maybe in her 50s, 60s. And, and, and you know, you go, okay, well, ladies baptized, that's neat. An adult baptized, that's really neat. Here's what really ups the ante on that story is for 25 years, she owned a strip club. Now, that's not furniture related, if you know what I mean. Are y'all with me? Teresa became friends with someone in the church. And they loved her, and they prayed for her, and they invited her to church. She came to church, and the church didn't say, Oh, you have a strip club. That's awesome. That's great. Will you get up some night and testify about what y'all do and how cool it is? They didn't do that. They loved her, and they prayed for her. And they befriended her. And eventually, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She sold her strip club, and the last night, the, the club was hers. You know what they did? They had a worship service in the strip club. Is that not God getting the glory? Is that not pouring grace and truth all together? You see, we've got to be the kind of place where somebody on the fringe of moral society can come in here and know that, no, we have standards, but we love you anyway. And we're going to keep loving you and hoping that Jesus Christ gets a hold of you and changes you. All of us are shaped by our own experiences. And my experiences, I think, shaped me strongly in this, this way. I, I grew up going to church every Sunday. Good parents. Got baptized when I was a kid. For some reason, it went over my head. I miss God. Went through junior high, high school, the first part of college. I would have told you I was a Christian. But I could do anything I wanted to with zero guilt. I didn't like one beer. I liked 15 beers. I didn't like to party a little. I wanted to party a lot. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. Two types of people were absolutely never going to reach me. One was the judgmental person. You know, that wanted to knock that beer out of my hand. That's the kind of person you want them to try. The other person was the one who had no standards, who was the hypocrite, who would be doing exactly what I was doing on the weekends and then in church going, oh, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. You know, I can read through that. That's fake. But here's what happened. There were some weird Christians got around my life. 
weird to me because they liked me. They didn't approve of how I live. They didn't say, oh, it's just great you're partying and running around. They didn't say, oh, it's great that you're not living morally. They didn't say that. They just loved me anyway. I didn't know they were praying for me, but they were praying for me. And they would invite me to go to church, and I didn't want to go to church, but I moved back home, and I was an adult, but my dad made me go to church. And so one Sunday night, I go to church, and I'm all hungover. I don't want to be in church. And it's one of those weirdo churches. It's one of those truth and grace churches. I mean, the preacher preached it hard, but he was a former alcoholic. Man, he just loved people. And I went in, and they're hugging me, and I'm a lost guy, and I'm a macho, and I'm like, do not hug me unless you're a good-looking female. Get away from me. Or you're my grandmother. And they're hugging me, and they're glad I'm there, and they're singing, and I'm going, I want to get out of here. These people are crazy. And before the night's over, God's grace and their grace had poured on my life, and 24 hours later, I got saved. I want to tell you, it works. It works when Christians are grace people, and it works when churches are grace places. And I'm telling you, that's what God's calling us to be. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, we're going to challenge you a little bit more in a moment. I want you to be thinking about what God's saying to you now. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, maybe you're ready this morning to cross that line with Jesus. If you're ready, pray with me. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died for me. You arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I give you my life this morning. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, maybe you just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. You can catch one of our ministers after church. Or when we stand, you can come this morning. Embrace the grace of Jesus Christ. Man, come and do that today. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. Or you could come this morning if you wanted when we stand. Listen, you need a church. You need the right kind of church to make your game go like it should with God. Come join us today if God's leading you to. Some of you Christians, you're doing great with this. Man, you are truth and grace people. Keep it up. Some of us aren't doing so well. And we need to tighten it back up. Or maybe you want to come today and pray with pray for your church at the altar or pray with one of our ministers. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be down here waiting on you.